this is an exceptional, extraordinary, remarkable country. Uh, in fact, I happen to believe it is the greatest country in the history of man. Welcome to the Influencers Podcast. I can't think of anybody that I'd rather interview than our guest today, Tim Gagline. Uh, Tim is the Vice President of External and Government Relations for Focus on the Family. Formerly, he served as a special assistant to President George W. Bush. That's when we met Tim. Uh, he was also deputy director of the White House Office of Public Liaison. He was the president's principal outreach contact for conservative and faith-based groups. And Tim, I've said this before, but you were the lead blocker for the faith-based community initiative. And you're one of the reasons why groups like CityServe are winning sizable government grants uh, to help people in need through local churches. And we're so grateful. Uh, also, your resume includes serving as the senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation and as communications director for U.S. Senator Dan Coates of Indiana and Gary Bauer at the Campaign for Working Families. Uh, you have authored a memoir, The Man in the Middle, Faith and Politics in the George W. Bush Era. If you read that book, you will not put it down. Incredible. And his latest book is entitled American Restoration. Uh, he and his lovely wife, Jenny, have two sons, live in the D.C. area. And Tim, welcome back to the Influencers Podcast. Dave, it is great to be with you. It's a real honor and a real treat, uh, and I so appreciate the invitation. Well, I can't think of uh, anybody I, I would rather ask this question to. What is it like inside the White House? You know, I remember when the series West Wing was at its height, and, uh, you know, having seen that a few times, there seems to be this constant motion, my friend, where there's people locked three and four abreast, you know, walking straight ahead uh, as if you're Lois Lane and Superman through swinging doors, putting out the latest fire. Uh, you know, uh, I have to say uh, that the White House perhaps is sometimes like that, but most of the time it's a combination uh, of the head of our executive branch. Uh, it's a bit of a museum, if I may say, and uh, given my own interests, and I know yours, you feel a great sense of both national purpose and history and culture all around you. Uh, I, I remember uh, being in the, uh, the, the state dining room for the first time and having a historian share with me uh, how Theodore Roosevelt had his uh, portrait painted just a few steps from where we were standing. And I thought to myself, that's just a bit of a snapshot of the, of the really uh, you know, remarkable treasure that the White House uh, and the executive branch is. And uh, I, I don't mind saying, my friend, when you look at the Constitution, it's only four pages, uh, there's that huge section uh, you know, on Article One. That's the uh, legislative branch. Tiny little paragraph on you know, the White House and the executive branch, uh, and an even smaller section on the Supreme Court. And I turn my head and say, my, how things have changed. Mm, wow. Yeah, I remember having breakfast in there, that small little mess hall, and uh, Karl Rove walked in, your former boss, right? 
Karl Rove. Indeed, and I think he's one of the uh, genuinely most important presidential uh, strategists of the second half of the 20th century uh, and the first part of the 21st. Uh, and I think there's a reason that uh, in the re-election that George W. Bush referred to Karl Rove rightfully uh, as the architect. I think that's it. And he had the ability and still does to think, they said like 10 to what, 15 moves ahead. I think that's exactly right. You know, I've heard it said uh, that some people are playing checkers while other people are playing chess. And uh, Carl makes it look uh, rather easy. He's a great friend, as you know, Dave. In the first of my three books, <clears throat> he wrote the foreword. Uh, and I admire him very much. I think there's no one really on the political scene of either political party who knows more about uh, the, the building blocks uh, of American uh, political uh, architecture and culture. Uh, I think uh, he's a uh, genuine uh, intellectual. And yet, on the other hand, I think he's a person of remarkable uh, humility and good humor. And I think uh, to navigate uh, the Beltway, it helps to have a lot of both. <laughs> uh, amen to that. Yeah, as I was mentioning, we're eating in the uh, mess hall and Carl walks in and it was like 8.30. And uh, he said to all, all of us, get to work. <laughs> you, you know, it's very interesting. I, I think uh, people who are listening to or watching us will find it of interest uh, that the United States Navy has a fantastic history uh, with the executive branch. Uh, they are the ones uh, who really uh, began very early in the American presidency, uh, providing food and drink, uh, you know, to, to White House staff. Uh, and they have kept that tradition alive all of these years. And so when you go to the dining room in the West Wing, it's called the White House Mess. Uh, and you do have a strong sense of being uh, served by some of the finest uh, men and women in our United States Navy, uh, the great chefs, uh, the whole idea of the commitment to excellence and integrity and honesty. It comes across, and I think that it plays to the highest ideals of our really remarkable country. And in no small measure, uh, Dave, it's one of the reasons that I wrote the book, because this is an exceptional, extraordinary, remarkable country. Uh, in fact, I happen to believe it is the greatest country in the history of man. And I believe that you can prove that, by the way, objectively. It's not just, a, you know, just another opinion. Uh, I think our history, our culture, the narrative of our country is really remarkable. And one of the sobering things and the catalyzing effect for my writing this book is that as one of the vice presidents that focus on the family, I travel about a third of the time. And I think that all of us with children, with grandchildren, thinking about the next generation, I think that we're all concerned about the constitutional, cultural, and historic illiteracy that has become a bit of a plague on our beautiful nation. So I think that we have to address that problem and we have to push toward restoration uh, and toward renewal. And I think it's possible, and I think it's also uh, probable, that we have a tall task ahead of us. Well, I think our listeners are saying, I'd like to do a Spock uh, brain drain on Tim. <laughs> you know, it, 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 I heard uh, one commentator say over the weekend, it just seems like uh, Uncle Sam has a kick me sign uh, on uh, his back. 
And one thing I read, uh, and this was in the Washington Times, uh, they wrote a review of your book, and I thought this was just powerful. Instead of history bringing us together under a collective narrative, it is now taught in a way that puts people in groups against one another. That is why it is a moral and cultural case. I believe if we can recapture the accurate teaching of American history, it will result in an appreciation of our shared heritage and beliefs. Can you expound on that? I'd love to. I think that the danger is the balkanization of America. You know, there is a reason that the word united is the first word of our country. We are the United States of America. We are not the disunited states of America. We are not the tribal or the balkanized history of the United States. We are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, e pluribus unum. Uh, this is not a kind of a fancy slogan. It's not a commercial. Uh, this is a nation. And a serious nation, to your point, uh, Dave, has to, I think, make sure that the generations that come after it are prepared not only to govern, but are prepared uh, about the price of freedom, about the price of liberty. And it's why I took from the preamble to the Constitution uh, the title of my new book, Toward a More Perfect Union, and the subtitle, uh, The Moral and Cultural Case for Teaching the Great American Story. You know, uh, Toward a More Perfect Union says of a nation like ours, that we're not a utopia, we're not perfect, uh, but that the ideas of the beautiful, the just, and the true that inform, that are the seedbeds uh, of, of our uh, national history uh, are those ideals. And in the book, I deal with national sin. You know, as a Christian, uh, you know, I have to be comfortable as a person writing about history that, that, that sin is real. It's uh, real in the lives of individuals. It's real in the life of nations. And so in this book, I didn't seek to write an ideological counterweight, you know, to another irresponsible book or an irresponsible history. What I wanted to do is to do the old fashioned thing, which is to have faith uh, and, and fact based history and then to tell our story. And it really begins uh, where your uh, conversation began, uh, which is in the White House. One of my favorite historians is David McCullough. And when I was working there uh, and we formed a wonderful friendship, uh, our friendship began with his comment to me that he was suffering from insomnia. And I, I said uh, to, to, to David, um, what do you mean? And he said, you know, I meet with members of the political class all the time. I'm on campuses, I'm in schools. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm losing sleep over the fact uh, that people in positions of authority, young people who are going to be the next leaders of America, they don't know the basic outlines of our history. What is the American Revolution? What is the nullification crisis? What is the Civil War? Uh, what is the Great Depression? How was America involved in two world wars? What is Vietnam? What's Watergate? Uh, what is the social and moral revolution of the 1960s and 70s. What is the Cold War? You know, th this kind of uh, basic dialogue uh, we have to expect from uh, our leaders, but we have to uh, work to make sure that the, that the seedlings of freedom uh, and across this remarkable story from sea to shining sea uh, are, are best understood 
by the young men and the young women who will soon take their place across the board wherever God uh, you know, places them to be able to govern and to lead with kind of integrity and humility and faith and patience uh, that a nation like ours really needs and expects. Well, I, I would encourage everybody, if you haven't already, to read or listen to David McCullough's 1776. Yes. Uh, I, I love to listen to it every year as a reminder. And uh, this summer, I'm taking my kids to Normandy. I think that's uh, another thing I would prescribe. May, may I say, uh, in Toward a More Perfect Union, Dave, one of the things that I deal with is not just the kind of data set, you know, that confirms where we're at with regard to the historic, constitutional, and, uh, and cultural illiteracy that I allude to, but I also deal in the book with what to do about it. You know, the thing I expressly did not want to write is that here's all the problems, you know. Uh, I'm an inveterate optimist. In fact, I'm a hopefulist. Uh, and I wanted to, uh, to, to deal in the book in a substantial way with parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews, neighbors, pastors who say, okay, we have these problems, but what can I actually do about it? How can we move toward restoration? And one of the things I recommend is take your children, take your grandchildren to Valley Forge. You know, take them to Independence Hall. Bring them here to Washington. Take them to the South Rim of the Grand Canyon. Go to Normandy. Uh, you know, share with the next generation, not just by words uh, or by video, but share with them the geography. Take them to the place. Let them walk in the place where Lincoln walked. Let them uh, walk in the place where Washington walked, where Harriet Tubman uh, walked. And, you know, I, I think it's so important uh, that we make sure that we get the next generation engaged and actually in those difficult places where big things happen for good or for ill. I think it's uh, it redounds to the benefit of our nation. You know, speaking of that, even just taking them to Washington, D.C., and seeing yes. all of the spiritual, moral, biblical values that are in phrases. And you know, can you talk about that for a, a little bit? I would love to do that. And, I, and in fact, uh, in Toward a More Perfect Union, I deal at length with precisely, uh, as you know, what, what, what you're asking about, you know, uh, to take the next generation to the United States Capitol and let them look at the statues, let them look at the paintings. In fact, I was just there two days ago with a very large uh, student group uh, from Liberty University. We went into the rotunda and looked at those great paintings. Uh, you know, it's, it's awe-inspiring. We looked at all of the statues. Uh, you know, we, we, we walked the halls uh, of, the, of the Capitol. We went to the plaza of the uh, Supreme Court and looked at those remarkable doors and pillars. We talked about some of the great cases uh, in American history. Uh, we went to the Library of Congress, the Thomas Jefferson Building. Uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson, our third president, the author of the Declaration of Independence, uh, the man who uh, gave his own library to found our own Library of Congress. So Dave, I could not agree more. Uh, you know, to go there and just let them absorb it and soak it in. You don't really even need to say much. Uh, you just stand there all four seasons of the year. Uh, you can be there in a gentle snowfall. You can be there as we are at the height of cherry blossom season. 
You can be there in blazing hot summer or freezing cold winter, and you can look around and take in our national capital, and it dawns on you very quickly, wow, I'm part of something that's bigger than me. What, a, what American figures uh, embody uh, the virtues of America the most? Uh, I know one of them, Jim Daly, uh, president, <laughs> <laughs> president yes. of Focus on the Family. You know, I, I'm terribly biased in that regard, but I believe that Jim Daly, the president of Focus on the Family, is a genuinely gifted leader. Uh, and uh, the way that God uh, uh, rose uh, uh, up and, and decided who will follow Dr. Dobson, uh, you know, and, uh, and comparing these two great men's mm -hmm. biographies, very different biographies, but absolutely perfect uh, for the generation that they are in. I, I must tell you, I, I believe, I, I was just asked this very recently in an interview about the book. Uh, one of the interviewers said, we are a nation now without heroes. Uh, and, and I said, no, I, I think it's just the opposite. Uh, I said, it's so easy to get entangled into the newspapers and the daily uh, you know, drab news and social media. But, but uh, very often, uh, the, the, the great American men and women are the ones who are not in the headlines. They're not in social media. But you don't have to look very far. And I could use a lot of examples, but I'll use one, Dave. I, I really do believe that the greatest living American is Justice Clarence Thomas. Uh, I, I think uh, if you had to pick, uh, you know, just biographically, one of the most interesting and remarkable Americans who are still living, I would pick Clarence Thomas. Uh, and I hope that everybody who's listening to us or watching will uh, watch one of the most powerful, impactful documentaries I've ever seen. It is the documentary that was done on Justice Thomas's life. Uh, there will not be a dry eye in the house after the lights go up. It's really that good. And in Toward a More Perfect Union, I wanted to make the moral and cultural case for understanding uh, the timeless values that lead to great leadership, that comprise the great Americans. You mentioned Normandy. I mean, Eisenhower, he plays a very big part in my book. And for many Americans, uh, this, this singular American, the man who designed uh, the invasion at Normandy, twice elected uh, as, to the presidency of the United States, uh, West Point, uh, one of our greatest generals. Unfortunately, uh, you, know, you, you mentioned the name of Eisenhower now, uh, and, and there, uh, there are large numbers of Americans where it's blank stares. And as I say in the book, Dave, and as you know from, uh, from having read it, it's not a coincidence. It's not necessarily bad parenting or bad schooling. Uh, what we find often is that it's intentional, uh, you know, uh, weak and hollow curriculums that do not rightfully emphasize the narrative that is the story of America. And more than ironic that Eisenhower said the only thing we haven't learned is history. That's exactly it. He was a great historian himself. And in fact, a very good friend of mine who is now deceased, who is a former member of Congress, if you can imagine, uh, was, uh, was a remarkable uh, veteran, came back from World War II. Eisenhower was really taken with this man's valor and his uh, self-sacrifice. And he called uh, this man who became uh, a, a leading uh, uh, United States senator, later majority leader of the Senate, uh, a young Bob Dole. And he said to Bob Dole, a fellow Kansan, please come to Gettysburg. I'd like to meet you. And then we'll, we'll, we will go together uh, across the Gettysburg battlefield. 
And I asked uh, Bob Dole many years later, tell me about that. I mean, what an extraordinary thing. And he said to me uh, in a very droll sense, that's how Dole was, you know, kind of a Jim Crack wit. He said to me, what do you think? He said, that was Eisenhower, you know? So, I mean, uh, these stories do exist. And by the way, to your earlier point, going to Gettysburg, I mean, who of us mm. uh, would not benefit from being at Little Round Top uh, and taking in that most pivotal three days of all of American history? You know, when you look at uh, kind of favorable ratings of different uh, walks of life and careers, politicians is pretty low. And yes. I think we all know the reason, the rancor, uh, the disunity. Yes. Uh, many have been there for decades and people feel like they've lost touch uh, yes. with uh, the American needs and priorities. How does our understanding of what you're talking about in your book uh, potentially you know, galvanize our country to get things done? I really love that question and more than you know. I believe that the hyperpolarization that we are experiencing in America is a kind of cancer. I think it's malevolent. Uh, I think it is, it, it's a toxin. Uh, and uh, the idea that someone who disagrees with me is my enemy is all wrong. Uh, and, and, I, and I write at length in the book about the importance of civility, magnanimity, grace, that it's really uh, perfectly good manners to disagree, but to disagree agreeably. And I think we have to return to a moment uh, in the best of us that says we can have a dialogue, we can have a conversation. Just because you disagree with me or have a different worldview does not make you my enemy. You're still my countryman. But let's find the areas where we can agree. You know, one of my heroes is Ronald Reagan. Uh, and Ronald Reagan is quoted extensively uh, in this book. And Ronald Reagan famously, Dave said, he said, somebody who's with me 80% uh, of the time and maybe disagreeing with me 20% of the time, he's called my friend. You know, uh, we, we don't have to agree on everything or even all the time. Uh, we can look and search for areas of agreement. And, if, and, and by the way, if we can't agree, that's part of America, too. It's why we have the Bill of Rights. Uh, you know, we, we, we have a constitutional way uh, that recognizes that no one is perfect, no one has all the answers, uh, and we have to be comfortable uh, with the fact uh, that we don't live in a utopia. We live in a constitutional republic, and there is a way to navigate this together. You know, after reading through your book, uh, one of the things that I was frankly convicted about is I needed to be more grateful. Uh, is that one of the outcomes that you're hoping as, as a result of people reading your book? But the answer to that is by all means, yes. And in fact, I actually believe uh, that ingratitude is one of the great problems in 21st century America. Uh, I believe uh, that gratitude is among the first uh, rank of all the virtues. And I think that it is so important that all of us sometimes just take one step back uh, and step out of our comfort zone and be able to look around and look at all of the myriad blessings we have merely because we wake up every day as Americans. 
So I, so I have built into toward a more perfect union, a very profound and deep sense of gratitude. Uh, and in fact, it's how I close the book because I believe gratitude is ingrained uh, in part of what it means uh, to be a great citizen, to be a patriot, uh, and to make a contribution regardless of where God places us in our nation. Wow. Uh, Tim, looking back on your career, which, I mean, it, it really is astounding how God has used you and you've been faithfully serving in the trenches, uh, standing for our moral biblical values. You, you truly are, I, I believe, an American hero. As you look back, you know, on your ministry, your career, what would you say to that young person uh, that's coming up? I wish I had known this sooner. Uh, I, that, that is very easy to answer, and it is the following, and I'm, I'm honored that you would ask me. You know, uh, Washington, Silicon Valley, Wall Street, Hollywood, uh, you know, pick the kind of cultural centers of the nation. There is this false bravado that somehow uh, you have to every day step onto an escalator and move upward and onward. Uh, and that if you are not climbing uh, in the resume virtues, as my friend David Brooks says, that somehow you're not quite achieving it. But as David makes very clear, there's something far more important than the so-called resume virtues. And they are what he calls the eulogy virtues. The eulogy virtues, frankly, is how we will be thought of uh, when, uh, when this life uh, comes to its end. At that point, I think very few people will say, uh, tell me about the 9,000 things you achieved professionally, but they will go to the question of your character. What kind of a person was he? Was it about integrity, honesty, humility, patience, faith? And so I, I think, uh, uh, and I pray this uh, you know, as deeply as I can, that the one thing that I have learned uh, through, uh, through failure, not through success, the thing that I've learned uh, is an echo uh, of what the poet T.S. Eliot uh, said. And it's very simple. He said, humility is endless. And what he meant by that is that pride uh, is, uh, is false. Uh, pride uh, is that idea of self-deception uh, and, and a sense of inflated self. But the opposite of pride is humility. And I think that whether you are in the public square or wherever God has called you uh, in this great, big, uh, beautiful country and world, my view is that Eliot ultimately is absolutely correct, that humility is endless, that there is power in humility, and it allows you to relate to your fellow citizens, to your family, to your friends, to your comrades, to your allies, and yes, even to those uh, with whom you disagree. It gives you a way uh, to navigate and to relate. And so I think there is, in fact, power, real power in humility. I'll tell you what, I think people after hearing that are going to pick up the book toward a more perfect union. That, that's absolutely powerful. Uh, Tim, the last question, you know, as you and I are recording this show uh, this week, uh, there was a shooting in a Christian school uh, in Nashville, you have six that are dead. Three are young children. Uh, you have uh, Putin threatening uh, with uh, nuclear bombs. Uh, you have China 
that is, looks like it's teaming up uh, with Putin. Uh, you have just a pervasive fear in our country, and you have a, a really a lot of people in the airwaves that are like doubt peddlers. What would you say uh, to that person that is losing hope in America? I would say the following, that it all begins with the reality of prayer. Uh, prayer availeth much. Prayer changes things. And I think that prayer, as I said a moment ago, uh, is really uh, rooted in humility. And I think that uh, from this terrible national tragedy, and I mean, uh, my heart goes out to each and every person uh, impacted by this terrible tragedy, that my view is that it might provide at some level an opportunity uh, for a national conversation uh, that says that faith and freedom go together, uh, that, that the Judeo-Christian tradition is the great foundation of America, and uh, that the search for God and restoration, renewal, uh, refreshment, revival uh, in our nation, that this might be a wonderful opportunity uh, to return uh, to the power of a living God who is with us in our tears, he's with us in our tragedy, he's with us in our sorrow, uh, and uh, that, uh, that there's not nothing at the end of our rope, that at the end of our rope uh, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it seems to me uh, that, that from this kind of brokenness, we can travel to the heart of God, who walks with us, who's with us, who cares for us, who wants to hear from us. And he, I believe very strongly, wants to give us a better way forward uh, in our families, as parents, uh, in our marriages, in our communities. And so uh, we pray deeply for the people terribly impacted by this tragedy, and we pray that the Lord would come and bring uh, serenity and peace uh, to them, uh, but also as an opportunity to bring peace and serenity as a way forward uh, for this uh, remarkable sweet land of liberty. Amen, my friend. Well, please uh, pick up your book today, Toward a More Perfect Union. Tim, how can we get a copy of it? You know, uh, it's widely available everywhere. Uh, faithfultext.com is my favorite, faithfultext.com. But you can truly pick it up, Amazon, bookstores. Uh, it's widely available. Fidelis has done a wonderful job as the book's publisher. I'm very honored to be one of their uh, authors. Uh, and I hope that everybody, I really do, I hope that everybody will read toward a more perfect union uh, and that they will find it as a useful tool uh, in the toolbox because I believe that there is a better way forward for the country. And I think that toward a more perfect union helps make that kind of contribution. Tim Gangline, Toward a More Perfect Union book. Tim, thanks for being with us on the Influencers Podcast and inspiring us today. Dave, it's been a real uh, honor and blessing. Uh, thank you so much. Blessings to you and your family and all of your colleagues. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma 
Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.